Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the HIV podcast. Each week we focus on a person, historical event or pop culture moment linked to HIV and explore the story of what actually happened. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess. And between us, we've been working in the field of HIV for 40 years. Our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. Welcome to the HIV podcast presented by the fabulous Jess and Sarah. Stay tuned for all things related to HIV HIV education, and of course, chocolate buttons, crisps, and condiments. Enjoy. How amazing is that? Wow. Whoever that is has missed their vacation in life as a TV announcer. They'd be amazing. Gorgeous voice, isn't it? It's uh, it's the lovely, lovely Charlotte Leach. And thank you so much, Charlotte, for sending that in. That really made my day when I got that today. This ties in very nicely with our episode this week. But thank you, Charlotte Leach. Yeah, thank I'm you. I'm going to try so and be much. more. I'm going to have a voice more like hers. That she's going to be like my voice role model. Don't you remember a few episodes back? You literally said we should ring her in a crisis because she'd calm us. And <laughs> at that time, I was like, no, I don't think we should be ringing our listeners just you know in our times of crisis. But now hearing that voice, I'm with you a little bit. I'm like, that is a soothing voice. I just want to hear. Calm down. Put the kettle on. Have a cup of tea. It's going to be fine. That is literally. That's it. If she said to me, everything is going to be okay. I believe her. Maybe we just need her to record that and we can put it on a repeat when we're having like a meltdown in the office. We find out we're being kicked out the premises or anything, which everyone keeps asking me about. There's still no update on that. We will let you know when there is something. But that's what we need. We need to play Charlotte Leach being like, calm down, everybody. It's all going to be okay. Yeah. Oh, amazing. And amazing that she persevered, even though I said that we should call her. She stuck with us. And it hasn't scared her off. In the new year, there are going to be even more ways that you can get involved with the podcast. But this is one that we've mentioned before is saying our intro, welcome to the HIV, HIV podcast. And also like Charlotte, put your own little <laughs> Which spin on everybody it. everybody apparently can say better than you. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> it's been a week, Sarah. It's been a week. <laughs> oh, can we just say that you've been very poorly this week, haven't you? And well, very poorly since New Year. Yeah. And I don't think you should really be recording today because you're still not well. So, you know, lovely to see your little face. Yeah. I haven't seen you since before Christmas. But yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen Sarah. And as Sarah mentioned, we're only mentioning this. We tend not to bring 
our own stuff into this, but we just wanted to mention it. Like I, I have had COVID, unfortunately, and it's been really awful. Um, well, not that awful. I make it sound like it's been. There are people that have COVID much worse than me. Please, I was just pathetic in bed and kept crying and saying to my husband, "I think I might die." And he was like, you're definitely not going to. And leaving the room. But anyway, the point is, I just wanted to um, mention that because obviously I have definitely been slower at getting back to people on Instagram. So if you've been getting in touch with us or tagging us or messaging us or emailing us, that is why it is not because we are just rubbish and ignoring you. It is honestly because I pick up all of those things. And Sarah has already been covering my other work because obviously I haven't been in work. So there's only so much one woman can do. So thank you, Sarah. I very much appreciate it. And as she said, today is actually the first day we've seen each other since since December. It is, isn't it? Craziness, craziness. But yes, I'm on the men, hopefully, still testing positive, which I think is obscene seeing as it's been like 11 days now. And actually, I would say more than 11 days because I only tested once I realised it was COVID because I couldn't taste anything. I felt ill before that. Madness. Wow. Yeah. That last. It lingers, doesn't it? It's the worst. I hate COVID. I'm literally, bring masks back. I mean, I suppose no one, they never went away. But I'm bringing it back as we just discussed, Sarah. Before this, Sarah and I were discussing that I, I should definitely maybe wear a mask again. So I think I'm going to go down that path. Oh, I've just ordered some masks for the drop-in. Perfect. I'm going to cover you in them to well, protect I'll, you. I'll be in my separate office. And, you know, we've got these, I don't know why we bought them, but they're these clear visors that we bought during the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> you wear as like a headband. We'll take a picture. We'll put one up next week. I might just start wearing those, Sarah. <laughs> That's not going to scare any service user away, is it? <laughs> well... Speaking of the messages that we actually received, this links in quite nicely. Um, We actually received a message that I wanted to read out on him. Just received a message from Soph and they said, I've been listening to your podcast on disclosure as a dentist. A dentist, Sarah. Do you remember we talked about dentists and we can't, not that we slammed them because the only people we really slam a lot is the media. Everyone knows that. Yeah. But we had said we have had a lot of service users have difficult interactions with dentists, didn't we? So they said... As a dentist, I've actually felt super comfortable when people have disclosed that they're HIV positive because that is basically the only patient group, in brackets, along with pregnant people or people on PrEP, close brackets, that actually know their current status on any type of bloodborne infection. And then they have put, though I would advise people disclose any type of medication they are taking because possible drug-drug interaction. And if that's not possible, they said they think our advice of talking to the provider of their HIV meds is a good alternative. But how amazing is that? And thank you so much, Soph, if you are listening, for taking the time to actually message us and say that. Because I think that would reassure people to hear from a dentist saying, no, no, I welcome I welcome you telling me this is brilliant. Perfect, isn't it? To recognise that they know their status. And that's the kind of important thing here. Well, that's a brilliant way to look at things. Absolutely. So thank you so, so much, Soph. We massively appreciate A, that you've listened and um, and B, that, like I said, that you took the time to write in. We so, so appreciate it. So thank you for that. I, I do love it when people take the time to let us know. It's really, really helpful, isn't it? Well, it really is. And I just always think, I just so appreciate it. People are so busy these days. And the amount of times, I mean, how many times have you like heard something or watched it and thought, oh, write in about that or I message them because it's meant and you've just never bothered to get round to it. So I always think this, this is those people that go that extra mile that actually do it is fantastic. So thank you. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. And I think it's nice that that we acknowledge it as well, you know. It's like the time I wrote to the Sean Bean fan club. 
and got a signed photo of him. And I felt amazing. I've still got it. It's framed somewhere. Can I just ask, what? why were you a fan of Sean Bean? What? Why wouldn't you be a fan of Sean Bean? But Not now. I mean, he, well, no, maybe now. What, what, oh. what was it from? What sparked it? What- He's been in quite a lot. Lady Chatterley's lover. He was in Sharp, wasn't he? He's been in some films. You And you really liked I mean, I liked him in Game of Thrones, but that was pretty short-lived. Very t- kind of typecast, isn't he? Into the same sort of tag him in on this episode. Well, do you, do you want to give him a personal message while you've got him? I'm going to tag him. I'm going to cut this into a video, Sarah. What is your personal message to Sean Bean, who you no, wrote a fan We can't do this because it, where does it end? It will start with Sean Bean. We'll move on to Will Meller and, and Deck. We'll, it will just go on and on. Are these Each all the week, people you've person. written letters to? <laughs> no, these are people I'd like to write to. Doesn't Will Meller live near you? Yes, yes, yeah. Oh, the self-control, Jess, I have to put in place not to keep driving past his house. It was it was the way you went, yeah. Almost <laughs> like he knows. Oh, yeah. He knows about it. <laughs> he, I'm the person outside the house with the binoculars. <laughs> oh, yeah. I really have to rein myself in. He doesn't live very far away from me and it would be quite easy to go. Past- no, no, no. No. We're into stalker territory. It's not okay. nice for him and no it's embarrassing tagging. for me. Yeah, no tagging no. then. Fair enough. <laughs> well, well done that he sent you a, a signed photo. That's nice. Right, should we get back to the episode? I mean, yeah. What are we doing? Do you know what? This really is Charlotte Leach's episode. Although we've hijacked it by talking about Sean Bean. I'm so, so sorry. She asked if we could do an episode on the London Lighthouse. Yeah. And we can. So that's this week? Yes, what we're doing. So if I'd have known this, Sarah, if I'd have known we were going fully leech, and that's what I'm calling it, we're going full leech this week, I would have worn dungarees. Because oh, for anyone yeah. that doesn't know, you know, I know we we have a lot of inside jokes here that you have to have listened to a thousand episodes to have understood them. But, you know, Charlotte and myself very much love a pair of dungarees. Sarah said we were going to start some sort of HIV choir that was going to tour the country. We're all going to be in it and we're all going to wear dungarees. Yes, that's how we'll get Will Miller involved. And what will he do? Can he sing? He can. I'm sure he can sing. Anyway, look, don't, 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 don't derail it. I, did, I feel that might have been you. <laughs> right, I'm just going to start. The London Lighthouse. Uh, right, so it's not an actual lighthouse, right? Yeah. Because, but there is such a thing. There is an actual what, lighthouse. as a lighthouse? Yes, there's an actual lighthouse in London. No, I thought you were just saying lighthouses are real, Jess. They're not just in <laughs> fictional books. Like I know, Sarah. Thank you. From Eastbourne, Beachy Head. Oh, mm, I know. Suicide right. Central, there, isn't it? Is it? I know. Yeah, it yeah, is. yeah. It is. But do you know what? Do you want to hear a heartwarming story? Yes. Um, a guy that I went to school with, his dog. Why would Why would you throw a ball for a dog at the top of some cliffs? They threw a ball, obviously, golden retriever, and the dog went straight off the side of the cliff. And um, Oh, my gosh. Luckily, the cliff kind of jutted out and he got stuck halfway down. They had to get a helicopter out, but he was fine. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, ooh, right. Back to the lighthouse. <laughs> Lighthouses, they are real. They are. So there is a London lighthouse. Well, it's called Trinity Boy Wharf. I had to look into this. Why would London lead a lighthouse? Why does it need a lighthouse? I could tell you that, actually. It was never used to aid aid navigation on the Thames. Surely that's the point of a lighthouse. But it was used to experiment and develop lighting equipment. 
Well, the Trinity House Network of Lighthouses, Lightships and Boys. I'm full of very useful information. But that's not the lighthouse we're looking at. No, no. We are looking at the London Lighthouse. It was a centre for people with HIV and AIDS. And it was the world's largest centre for people living with HIV when it was opened. And it helped shape patient-centred approaches to HIV care. So how we operate, because we operate in the same fashion now, is influenced by how the London Lighthouse operated. When it opened, it consisted of a residential unit along with daycare and drop-in centre facilities. What we're going to do is we are going to look at the people behind the opening and we're also going to have a little look at what it was actually like. I don't really know much about it. I say that every week. I feel like this whole podcast is just aimed to get me a bit more educated so I can do my job. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, I know what it is as a literal, that's, you know, but none of the history really, or actually even where it is. As no, it, well, I know not it's me. in London, but whereabouts? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, I didn't. I've heard of it, but I've, I've never known anything more than that. And I've we've got, well, we had service users who'd actually use their facilities. We've heard them talking about it in the past. But again, it just kind of passed me by. Mm. Now, we should point out, as with anything historical, it can be confusing as to what the actual facts were, so what what the true history was. So in those cases, I go with the most common themes. And in this case, three names are mentioned again and again. Christopher Spence, Andrew Henderson and John Shine. They're credited with the idea, the format, the launch and the rungin' of it. So I mean, the whole shebang, basically. But we don't like to leave anybody out. And there is another name that is mentioned in an interview I read with Christopher Spence. So he talks about someone called Jonathan Grimshaw. Now, Jonathan had started a self-help network for people with HIV called Body Positive. Yes, I heard of Body Positive. Excellent. Christopher says in that interview that after a discussion with him, the lighthouse was born. So we'll acknowledge him as well, but I couldn't find his name mentioned anywhere else and not least because tvps who we both work for the hiv charity we work for originated from a body positive group so if it wasn't for jonathan we wouldn't even have jobs oh my god you can tell i'm still not well that's why i know the name sarah because that's the derivative of our own charity i'm here going oh i recognize that yeah yeah i'm just i was gonna let it go jess it's just like i'm so sorry i'm just i'm here i'm here that's all i've got like Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. So will you sit back and relax? Exactly. I'll enjoy. And I'll tell you. I will tell you who the three amazing people are with the vision that HIV positive people needed proper holistic care. So we start with John Shine, because he was a nurse at St. Ugh. He was a nurse at St. Stephen's Hospital. Oh, that is that is a hard one to say, isn't it? That's a bit like it she is. sells seashells on the seashore. St. Stephen's. Yes. St. Yeah. Stephen's. It's probably why they changed the name to Chelsea and Westminster. Yeah, it's a good shout. <laughs> yeah. So he worked there in the early 80s. He was very interested by how many patients were presenting with unusual symptoms. So we've looked at this before, haven't we? And uh, so these are the very, very early days of HIV and AIDS. He saw a very small article in an American pharmacology newsletter about a drug being used to treat GRID, as it was known back then. Alarm bells start to ring. He talks to a consultant and he says, look, I think one of the patients we've we've been treating probably died of grid or AIDS. The pathology department confirmed their suspicions. 
And that patient was identified as the first person in the UK to die from AIDS. At that time, though, other men were dying without anyone realising they had AIDS. But it was the first time it had been confirmed by a lab. I am with you. Rita's just barking. She always wants to be part of the action, doesn't she? She really does. She's very sassy. She's uh, mm. been very upset that I've not been well. She's, you know, getting in my face, trying to get me out of bed. She's like, no, Rita, no. And this is it now. She's like, it's my time to shine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, trying to get into your bed. Oh, ooh. yeah. Well, not in it. Like she on it. So yeah, don't worry. We won't. We don't. We don't need to go into me describing no. my bed. <laughs> I need to discuss your sleeping arrangements. That's for another day. <laughs> Mainly with Rita, apparently. Okay, so St Stephen's, after some very strong lobbying from John and his colleagues, set up the first AIDS-related clinic. John trains as a nurse counsellor and uh, he ran the hospital clinic AIDS counselling service. So they're pretty quick off the mark in terms of trying to offer some sort of holistic support. And recognising that it it needs more than just that medical approach that, like you're saying, I think to even recognise that so quickly that it needs this huge holistic approach is amazing and john i mean he's very much in demand so he's got this the job as a nurse counselor but he's also helping to raise awareness giving medical lectures providing training to professionals you know social workers police fire nurses doctors but you don't think do you of course all professional services would have wanted as much information as possible and there was very little information out there at the time yeah, well, well, we've talked about this. Um, I think it was in the Romania episode where we were talking about if there's no prior jurisdiction, if there's no, if there's no what they call policy documents that you can go and look at and go, oh, this is what we do. If that doesn't exist, if there's nothing, then yeah, everyone's going to want a piece of him to be like. Oh, help absolutely. Us. Now, as more people were diagnosed, it became clear the options for someone with AIDS in terms of end of life care were much more limited than for people with other terminal conditions. So if you had AIDS, your options really to either to die at home or in a hospital. Hospices, hospitals were around then, felt they weren't in a position to take people with HIV or AIDS, either for respite or end-of-life care. Wow. So that was instantly not an option. Well, yes. I mean, I found a blog from someone called Dr. Elizabeth Hall. She was one of the founders of St. Helena Hospice. And she talks about this because I was like, what? Yeah. So she says nursing staff were very keen to help. But the resistance mainly came from others who were kind of behind the scenes because they feared the loss of charitable revenue due to the prejudice of many of the public against people who contracted it. Oh, the fact that people were denied that kind of care. Because I, I understand it. I get the bigger picture. I get how do you even run a hospice and help other people if there's not the revenue and the funds. But it's so sad that that, that, that that's how they had to look at it. I mean, it's a very kind of clear indication of the stigma that people yeah. with AIDS faced. Now, she does go on to say, eventually the decision makers relented and the hospice were able to take AIDS patients but they didn't take in a huge number. And there's two reasons for that. Firstly, it was often more appropriate for them to be treated in acute hospitals because they needed intensive treatment for infections. Essentially, they were too sick to be taken to a hospice. And then the other reason is that a lot of people isolated themselves from family and friends. They were ashamed. They didn't want to seek help locally. So they'd fled to London where they could be more anonymous. Heart, absolutely heartbreaking, that oh, second Oh, yeah. 
I was literally going to say, you took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say, it's so heartbreaking to think of that, isn't it? To think that I'm in this situation and I'm this ill and what I'm going to do is just withdraw. Having to go through that and on top of it feel shame is, Mm. yeah, that just breaks my heart. Yeah, me too. You just can't, I can't imagine it actually. You can't imagine facing the end of your life and the place that should be there to support you and to make that easier is not even the right word is it but just to make that slightly less daunting isn't offering support and I can understand where the hospices are coming from again it's that lack of information isn't it it's not kind of understanding the the risks and the benefits but it is that lack of hospice care that led to the concept of the lighthouse and John's not the only one that's thinking this so he floats the idea with Christopher Spence who at the time was a bereavement counsellor uh, Christopher had set up a centre in Lancaster Road in London called Life Story. And it became a bit of a kind of collecting point for people with HIV because there were very few places they could go to access kind of support or or to meet others mm. affected by HIV. Now, Christopher said he was vaguely aware of AIDS as an American phenomenon until in 1985, a friend rang him to say, I need to see you urgently. Christopher agreed, the friend came round and the friend said, I've got AIDS, I'm going to die. Oh, that was in March. By May, he was dead. So Christopher says or has said in an interview, you know, he was very ready to go. But at every turn, his knowledge was contradicted and his choices were denied. Christopher said, I was so appalled by what happened to him in hospital where he died on a trolley, on a ventilator, surrounded by people in masks and gloves that I thought we've just got to do better. You know, what's happened to him doesn't make human sense. It's horrible. Yeah, I mean, that's appalling, isn't it? Uh, And he went on to say, I will not, if I can help it, let something like this happen ever again. And for him, all the signs were there that he could do something to change this. Because he said, you know, I'm in West London. I'm a gay man. I have an interest in death and dying. So I'm in a really strong position to make change happen. And to actually want to. It's one thing to say oh, all these awful things are happening. It's quite another to go, and I'm actually going to get involved and do something about this. I know, I absolutely agree. I think it takes a very special person absolutely, to to bring about change. Now, the final person uh, in this little trio is Andrew Henderson, Director of Social Services in Kensington and Chelsea at the time. He's very aware of the growing number of sick men who are unable to find hospice beds. Now, he, in his position, You know, he's the director of adult social care, but he's the director during a huge period of social change and political challenges. Let's not forget government at the time, reluctant to even acknowledge AIDS was an issue. And he's working within a borough that houses one of the key hospitals for those diagnosed with HIV and AIDS. So you have to say thank goodness, really, that he was quick thinking, good decision maker, very insightful very quickly he could see how this was affecting his borough and more importantly he could see the changes that needed to take place in order to ensure appropriate care and compassion for those with HIV. I'm so surprised I I don't mean that horribly obviously adult social care are there to look after us but to be that sort of dynamic at a time when it was probably panic stations and like you're saying it's quite hard as well if there's a government that isn't particularly on board. I think that, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head, really. If the government's not acknowledging this, it takes a very special person in his position to say, hold on, 
we need to do something here. Yeah, because in, essentially, let's be really honest, you might be putting your position at risk. Absolutely. Yeah, you could be. So those are the three. Let's look at what they actually did. Yeah. So there's nothing in place in the UK. They're starting from scratch. So the first thing is that John and Christopher go to San Francisco on a fact-finding mission because over there, they have already developed services. That's very, that is a good move. What a clever move. So they use the knowledge that they learn from America. They tie it in with their vision. And between the three of them, they raise £4.5 million from charitable donations. Actually, not all from charitable donations. The government did chip in. So they awarded half a million towards capital costs and £100,000 towards running costs. I'm laughing because even in today's money, but I know we always sell back then that was a lot of money. No, drop in the ocean. And they raised this money to buy a building in Ladbrook Grove. So the premises they chose had been built as a school, was known as the Solomon Wolfson Jewish School. That sounds very fancy. Does sound very fancy. But when they bought it, it was actually owned by the Spanish embassy. You know? So great, they found premises, they bought premises, co-founded the London Lighthouse, described as a pioneering integrated care model with services including crisis intervention, one-to-one counselling and a residential unit providing respite and terminal care. So John left his hospital role. He became the first paid member of staff there. Christopher was the CEO and Andrew was the chair of the board. So they're all very heavily involved. In the early years, 2,000 people a week walked through its doors seeking help and advice a week. A week. I have a a breakdown if we have more than 30 people at a drop-in session. (laughs) 2,000 people a week. My God. Absolutely astonishing, isn't it? I'm just dumbfounded. Like, and, and, And that just shows how much it was needed. Yeah. I can't get over that. 2,000 a week. I know. I know. Next time we think the drop-in's busy, we'll just look at each other and go, 2,000 a week. 2,000 a week. Jeez. Yeah. So, and when it opened, as we said earlier, it was the world's largest centre for those living with HIV. In the world as well. In the world. Absolutely phenomenal achievement by them. I hope they've been massively recognised for all of this amazing work that they've done. I think they deserve more recognition, definitely. I mean, the official opening of the lighthouse took place in November 1988. The plaque was unveiled by the late Princess Margaret. And we know Princess Diana was a regular visitor there. But do you know what it was really like there? Yes. Oh, I found an amazing article from The Independent, written in 1993. So they've been open a, a good few years. So the reporter writes... London Lighthouse, a centre for people with AIDS, does not advertise the omnipresence of death. I'm not joking. This is what it actually says. That's the opening line. That's the opening line. Jesus Christ. (laughs) So, yeah, it doesn't advertise the omnipresence of death. It's full of rose pink brick, high, airy spaces, cheerful pictures, soft colours, comfortable furniture. I don't know why any of that matters, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) moving smilingly through this space are 500 staff 350 of them are volunteers and a few dozen pwas the abbreviation for the politically correct term people with aids never patients never victims why 
did he even say victim? Well, I think it shows how uh, AIDS was viewed at the time. I know, I know, I know. We always do this. We look at things that are, that are from yesteryear, Sarah, and we're like, ah, oh, I can't believe they said that. I do get it. I get it. It was of its time. But I think every single time we look at anything like this, actually, it's another tiny piece of this massive puzzle that is all of the stigma that still exists. Every tiny article like this, every small thing is just another small piece of exactly why HIV is still so stigmatised. Oh, definitely. You can see, can't you, that it's so entrenched. What are we in? 93. So that's 30 years ago. God, my maths is on fire. Is it? That's quite good. Well done. 93, 2003, 2000. Don't put this in. 2023. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Edit that out. Nearly as painful as me and Zoe trying to work out percentages the other day all afternoon. It was just horrendous. Oh, I don't I don't blame you for giving up. You guys were looking at percentages, weren't you, of like how much of our costs have changed in terms of... Had increased. Yeah. Yeah. Because we provide yeah. a hot meal at our drop-in, don't we, for our service users, you know. We have some people who, you know, are homeless. We have some people who, you know, live way below the poverty line. We just provide a nice hot lunch, don't we, for whoever. And obviously, food costs money. And, yeah, did you say our, our food bill has gone up 50%? 50%. Oh. Gas and electric. I think it was something like 127%. Yeah. That's what started the whole conversation is I was like, no, over 100%. That doesn't exist because in my head, everything has to add up to 100. Or, oh, my, you know. oh, my God, I'm with you. You know what? I can't bear. You know, when people say I'm going to give you 110%, I'm like, then don't, no, I don't want to speak to you anymore because that's impossible. Yes. So give me 100. I, I don't want more than that and don't even oh. try and pretend. Well, when it comes to our heating bill, apparently it is possible. So <laughs> depressing. <laughs> Very depressing. I literally went round switching all the lights off. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't mind you being warm. But none of you can now see. It's fine. <laughs> Handle. Oh, anyway, back to this independent article. So by then, the centre is being used by 1,500 people a week. So it's dropped slightly, but that's that's a huge amount of people. That's Yeah, that's still an un- unbelievable amount. So the reporter goes on to say, in three hours there, I saw one person who was clearly gravely ill. Most of the others could have been anything marathon runners office workers they look just like anyone else i sort of don't have words for that i mean they are just regular people thanks so much they yeah. some of them probably are i bet you probably was a marathon runner probably was an office worker yeah it's just the way they make they go to great lengths to kind of paint this picture of this all right everybody they're just normal and they go on to say uh not ill not gay not doomed normal fuck off and that is <laughs> such a te- oh my god and then they say and that's the point of course apart from the fact that they have aids they are normal i feel like your article's not making this point you know it's like doomed who writes you know, doomed? i feel like that article is actually doing the opposite mm. which is such a shame uh right stats they said 60 percent of lighthouse care users another approved term apparently are gay men 15% are women. The rest might have become infected through being haemophiliacs, drug users, or by sheer chance. Wait, so they were neither men nor women? 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> were they? I mean, so... And it was just chance that they contracted, whereas the 60% who are gay men, they actively went out and looking for this. But that's, that's, that is all of these other subtle undertones, aren't they? It's yes. the subtext. It's this subliminal messaging constantly that actually says HIV is everything about you, you know, because he's going, oh, they could have been marathon runners, could have been this, as well as... It's like... And then this as well, you're, you are definite. That's exactly what this is saying. This is inferring that these people deserved it and those didn't. Yeah. Yes. It's very much laying blame there, isn't it? Oh, I still hate Almost subliminally, because you read that and you go, oh, okay. So uh, the gay men and the women were actually, you know, they didn't contract it by sheer chance. It's the other few that did. She goes, uh, I don't know if it's she actually, I don't know who the reporter is. Hence the lighthouse's careful terminology. No one is guilty, all are unlucky. Again, it guilty. instantly puts in your mind that they are guilty, doesn't it? Yes, because why even use terminology like that? Why even put that in there? What could they even be guilty of? Do you know what I mean? But again, that's the tone at the time, isn't it? That these people are guilty of contracting HIV and AIDS. And we know we've looked at episodes in the past where huge sections of the community were thinking, well, it's what they deserve because they're gay. Awful. Absolutely awful. Horrible to see it written down. Jesus. We will attach a link, by the way, yeah. to the article so people uh, can validate our sources. Yes, yes. But, but can yeah. I just say, can I just stop you? When when you said this is going to be like a Charlotte Leach, we're going full Leach, this is going to be lovely. It's London Lighthouse. I did not expect us getting this angry. I feel like we're back at blood scandal situation. But that's one of the kind of interesting things about doing a podcast like this. You can start off with something that's quite kind of warming and uplifting and people making change happen. And then as you dig deeper into it, you're like, oh, gosh, yeah, what is going on in the world? 1993. That is a hideous article. But it does give you a real feel for how HIV was viewed at the time. Yeah. Um, And maybe we need to talk about that more because I'm not going to lie. I'm so bored every year of doing interviews for wherever when it comes to World AIDS Day. And every time it's like, oh, well, the stigma's not that bad, is it? It's just like, oh, jeez. We still have all this subliminal messaging in the newspapers. We still use all of these words that make us feel a certain way about HIV and we pretend that we've moved on and we haven't. No, no, we haven't. We still do this. You know, look at the transgender community and the way the government talks about them. I saw some terrible things on um, an Instagram page the other day. A local Instagram page was talking about how they're teaching about transgender in school and how wrong it was. And people were jumping on the bandwagon. They're all paedophiles. And it's like, there is so much work to be. Yes, we might be talking about different topics, but that undercurrent of um, prejudice is still very much there, isn't it? And it's driven, I think, partly by the government. That's very much like the narrative from, say, like the 80s, where it was like, if you're gay, you're a paedophile. There was that narrative, wasn't there? In the UK anyway, I don't know about other places, Mm. but why, why is this the narrative? I just think they pick on communities with the smallest voices. It's horrible. It's bullying and it's unnecessary. And most importantly, a lot of the information is wrong. And that's how it was for people with HIV in the 80s and 90s. And still is today to a certain extent, because I agree with you. The stigma, I find, is stronger than ever. And I'm sorry, we we have to address the fact that we still see an ad drop in that if someone has contracted via some way other than sex, say through like a blood transfusion, 
you can certainly see they look at themselves differently or or other people look at them differently there's that is still there that mm. if you contract one way that's okay quote unquote uh, or if it's if it's via sex do you know what i mean then that's not that yeah. that there's still an undercurrent there whether we like it or not whether we want to acknowledge it or not it's still there yeah i would agree with you it's very true almost like a hierarchy that's exactly what I was trying to say. Yes, sir. You have hit the nail on the head. That is very much how it feels. Those, mm. those like who just, oh, you know, well, it wasn't my fault, you know, because, you know, this had happened or, but, you know, whatever. And then those, all oh, right, well, okay, well, I had unprotected sex. Oh, well, you're much further down this hierarchy. And that, by the way, is not our opinions on this. I think we, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that happens. We see that happening. You know, and it yes, we do, and we notice it because it affects the way people come to terms with their diagnosis. Absolutely, so if people have had unprotected sex and they blame themselves because they knew they should have used a condom, that journey to come to terms with their diagnosis is often far rockier than somebody who has contracted from, I don't know, blood transfusion that doesn't happen these days, or no. mother to baby transmission. I don't know. Yes, exactly. One of the other one of the other routes. No, I, I would. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with you. And I think it also can interrupt the process of coming to terms with your diagnosis, because I know we have both certainly seen people who clutch at straws looking for other. No, it can't have been the unprotected sex I had. I think it's this thing over here that happened. Like, I don't know. I think once we said someone had had some interaction with I, I can't remember. It was something to do with cats. And it was they were cats have featured a few times. Yes. Toxoplasmosis and cats. cats. Yeah. Yes. And people saying, no, I'm absolutely convinced it's nothing to do with that. Almost trying to look for that reason to be like, no, I'm not over here. And it's like, oh, we just need none of it. None of it matters. Do you know what I mean? It, at the end of the day, you're positive, you're positive. How we got there, does that matter? Obviously, you know, if it was a traumatic event, then yes, I'm not discounting that. We're sort of in the situation we are now. It's why we always say, don't we? Don't ask anyone how they contracted. It really doesn't matter. It's very true, but it does need a kind of public shift, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, this has taken a turn, isn't it? Oh, no, I was going to say. Charlotte's probably tuned in today being like, oh, it's going to be a delightful one. Oh, right. Let's get back to the lighthouse. Uh, there's an oral history website again. We can attach the link. It's really good if people want a further insight into what life was like at the lighthouse. So I've taken an excerpt from one of the pages so we can learn more. Uh, So it says it had been the sixth death in the 10 weeks since the unit opened. In the day room sat, I won't say their name because it's quite distinctive, who was dying. Along with his sister and two of his oldest friends, they'd virtually been living at the unit for days. Other visitors came and went. People talked to each other without introductions whilst making rounds of tea. It was the night of AIDS Day and people were sitting in their rooms watching documentaries about AIDS on television and crying. Peter, one of the nurses, lit six candles, one for each of the six residents who'd already died. Sometime later, Peter looked in to say goodnight. So this is written from a a patient perspective and introduced Elaine. Her husband had been diagnosed with AIDS in hospital and tried to kill himself. A local organisation had arranged for Elaine and him to come to the lighthouse. Their four-year-old son had been due to be looked after by family until an unthinking social worker had let slip about the diagnosis. 
The family refused to have him and he'd been taken into care. There were no facilities at the lighthouse to cater for children. Oh, God, that's so sad. It's quite raw, isn't it? And there's a lot more that, I, you know, I could have read. I won't read the whole thing out. People can go and look at it for themselves. Yeah, yeah. And please do. I mean, I, I, I certainly will. But my God, these are the stories we need to hear. These are the things we need to be remembering. And I think it proves, you know, why the lighthouse was so needed because Elaine and her husband didn't have anywhere else to go, you know, and they're having to deal with their poor son having been taken into care, shame from the family, social worker not understanding the kind of gravitas of disclosing their status. That wouldn't happen now, hopefully. And imagine on the on the day that it's kind of World AIDS Day and, and obviously very poignant for a lot of people who are in there. Yeah. Oh, so there yeah. you go. Yes, I was going to say, well, that's just finished me off for the day, to be honest, Sarah. We started really softly and I was like, oh, this is nice. You know, first day back from COVID, still feeling pretty rough, but it's, this is going to be lovely. It's going to be like a warm hug. Now, where where are we? This is, I mean, we've gone to anger. Now I'm just really sad. Oh, well, don't be sad. Just be grateful to those three people that set this up because, you know, they created a community and a sense of belonging for people who'd been shunned by their own community where, you know, nurses and doctors, really kind people would let people come and go. So there's no restrictions of of a hospital ward. You can have your friends to stay as long as you need them, where, you know, nurses would sneak out to the off-licence to get alcohol if that's what somebody wanted. They went to great lengths to make people stay in there feel as welcome and as cared for as possible in their last few days or weeks. So a very loving environment. Yeah. Is what that's I take amazing. This. And that's I, exactly what needed to happen. It's a shame that the article that was written didn't capture all everything like you just said. Oh, well, let's work, move on to what happened next. Okay. So the arrival of new treatments for HIV in the mid nineties and a decline in funding meant that the London Lighthouse reorientated itself towards lifelong support for people living with HIV. The residential unit closed. So that's good. In October 2000, London Lighthouse merged with uh, Terence Higgins Trust, another HIV charity. In 2013, Terence Higgins Trust decided to close the facility to cut costs. And in 2015, the Museum of Brands moved into the space. Who knew there was such a thing? So it's no longer connected to HIV. Oh, I think this might have been where Charlotte went. I know I'm just chatting like we're just, you know, best pals. Um, (laughs) I'm sure this is how she had seen it, because she had sent me a picture of the plaque that talks about the London Lighthouse. And if she doesn't mind, I'll obviously ask her, but we'll share that as well. Um, Yes, because there's still a memorial garden. That's where she went. Yes, the memorial garden. Uh, because the ashes of, of lots of people who died at the lighthouse were scattered there. So that has to be preserved. Yeah. Uh, and in 2021, an initiative was announced to create a UK National AIDS Memorial to be located at the former London Lighthouse building. Oh, wow. And there you go. That's everything we need to know about the London Lighthouse. That is everything we need to know, because I was about to be like, what, what's like, what's happening with it now? And obviously now I know. Yes. There is one more thing to point out. Our knowledge of London is awful. We don't actually know the full address of the London Lighthouse. And the UK National AIDS Memorial is going on Tottenham Court Road, which we're not sure if that's near Ladbroke Grove. So essentially, West London covers... Is Tottenham Court Road in North West London? 
thought it was central, isn't it? Isn't it near Oxford? Okay, West London. In London. And central London. It will be in the city of London. The most important thing is that we now all know more about the London Lighthouse. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, that is the most important thing. Geography is never our strong point. It's really not, is it? No. No, no. Especially not geography of London. Yeah, and that's fine. We don't need to know. You know, that's not a problem. But... That was amazing. Thank you so much. We have a lot, I should mention we have lots of exciting things planned this year. As I said, and we're going to have more ways that everyone can get involved with the podcast. I was supposed to be telling you about them all today, but obviously, as I mentioned previously, I haven't been here. So we'll be putting those together and putting them up. So we are excited to collaborate with more of you and mention more of what's going on. Um, and yeah, it's just going to be an exciting 2024, Sarah. It is, isn't it? And it's an even number. I always prefer years with even numbers. I don't know why. You really do, don't you? You've always said that to me. And weirdly, that now resonates with me. Because mm. I was born in a year with an even number. <gasps> me too. But there you go. Well, Charlotte Leach, we hope you loved it. Sarah's pulling the best face that's a bit like, oh, I, d- I don't know that she will. As usual, I'm not sure we've done the whole thing justice, but we've done our best, Jess, and that's what counts. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so if anyone else, just like Charlotte Leach, if there's any topics that you want to suggest for us to cover, someone else has been in touch with me to suggest a couple of different things. Drop us a message, drop us a DM, drop us a email, you know, my number, my my work WhatsApp. You can drop us a number there that we put below the podcast. So just get in touch with us. Ooh. What's our email address? Is it office at tvps.org.uk? It is, Sarah. Well done. That is literally, even though that doesn't sound like it's to do with the podcast, it's the easiest one, guys. We can't create a whole new email address. We'll, we'll just be, we'll, the emails will get lost. So that email address comes to myself and Sarah. So even if you just think, oh, have they thought about this? Please just drop us a line. Because, drop you know, us an email, definitely. Yes. Like Charlotte Leach, you, you'll get featured and then you'll have an episode that you think is going to be really lovely. And actually, it just descends into anger and sadness. <laughs> sums up our lives thanks for listening to the hiv podcast if you enjoyed our podcast please like rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts you can now also follow us on instagram and tiktok at the hiv podcast for behind the scenes insights and video the hiv podcast is produced by thames valley positive support hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.